Good morning and welcome again. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you on this first Sunday after Easter. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Um, I do want to let you know there's a Next Steps class this afternoon. If you are visiting with us for the first time or the second time or the 30th time, and you're interested to know what it would look like to be a member here, or if you just want to know more information, uh, there's no commitment on the back end, but I will uh, have a class this afternoon. We'll meet right in here, uh, right through that door right there is a, is a, a big room where we will meet at 4 o'clock. I'll find you here in the, uh, in the sanctuary if this is where you show up, and I'll meet with you, and we'll lead that. It'll take about an hour, so I would love to have you with me this afternoon for that class. As you're turning, let me mention two mission opportunities for you. Now, I need you to pay attention. Usually when we mention things, we try to mention them way out in advance, and you got lots of time to think about it. You don't have time to think about these two things, okay? We need you to hear it, make a decision, and move forward, all right? So one of those is an ESL mission opportunity to minister to Ukrainian refugees. That ministry takes place through Zoom um, or other online platform. If you are interested in that, Please see Miss Erin Taylor. If you don't know who she is, just ask me and I will point you in that direction or call the church office and we will get you in touch with her, okay? If you ask one of the church, uh, one of the, the pastors or somebody else, we can point you in the direction of, of Erin. But we just, if you'll just reach out to the church office, we can get you in touch with her, okay? But she is heading that up. There's a great need as these refugees are leaving their homeland for them to be connected. And there's an opportunity for us to connect teaching them. ESL means English is second language, so we can teach them English and share the gospel with them. So great opportunities there. If you're interested, please let us know. The second thing, and you've seen bullet or the flyers about this already this morning, but the family mission trip is going to Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, this is a shift from what had initially been planned. There were some logistic issues that got in the way, and as a result, this shift had to take place. Mr. Mike Barwick is working diligently to get this together. Um, if you are interested in going, we need especially some trained volunteers, some skilled volunteers, not trained, but skilled and willing. How about that? Some folks that can help lead some vacation Bible school type stuff as well as some light construction. There is an interest meeting for that next Sunday after service. The trip is the week, or excuse me, is the week after Father's Day in June. So again, it's like two months from now. So there's not a whole lot of time. There's information about it in the flyers. So just pay attention to those things, two important mission opportunities, and Next Steps class this afternoon. All right. Hopefully by now you've had time to turn to Acts chapter 5. I should have turned there when I told you to, shouldn't I? Please stand with me in honor of God's Word, and I'm going to read 11 verses to you. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold, it didn't, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. 
After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us an understanding of a difficult passage. Help us, Lord, to appreciate the seriousness of our sin, the graciousness of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Next month, I will celebrate 15 years as the pastor here. At some point, I've already been reflecting a bit, but at some point, I'll engage in a longer and more systematic reflection. I'll carve out time to think through all that's happened since we've been here and all that God's allowed me to be a part of. But until that time, here's one reflection I'm confident of. In 15 years as your pastor, I have never preached this passage of Scripture. Why? Honestly, because nobody wants to preach this passage of Scripture. No one has this as their life verses. Nobody got up this morning for their random devotion and said, I think that devotionally I will enjoy the story of Ananias, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. See, folks, we preach through whole books of the Bible here and through long passages of Scripture. And this morning, you see, one of the big reasons we do that is because if we did not do that systematically, I can assure you there would be nothing that would bring me to this passage of Scripture. And yet, here we are. I texted some preacher friends of mine this morning. I said, I'm preaching Ananias and Sapphira. Can anybody top that today? Crickets, that's all I got. See, this is a difficult passage of Scripture. But we believe what Paul teaches us, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, and correction. We believe that every single word of God is inspired, and so everything that's found in this Bible is valuable to us. And so this morning, I want you to know that even though this is one of the more difficult passages in the New Testament, it is the passage that matters for all of us today. It's a passage that has import or is important I should say for each and every one of us this morning what can we learn from Ananias and Sapphira the first thing we see this morning is that a lot of people attend church a lot of people attend church in the parable of the wheat and the tares Jesus shows us that the church contains the good seed and the weeds that there are going to be times when regardless of whatever effort we put in, that there are going to be the weeds that grow up within the church body. Why are these people here? There are people here every week who do not love Jesus. There are people here who are active not only in our church but in other churches who don't love Jesus or maybe don't even love the people around them. Why are they active in the church? I don't know all the time. Perhaps they're there for social status, maybe for business connections, maybe because they're just lonely. Truthfully, 
See, some of y'all are already looking up here going, really, we're preaching this passage? Just hold on, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, there were people, and there have always been people who were involved in churches because they were power hungry. They believed that if they got involved in a church, then they could have some authority finally, and people would listen to what they told them to do. There are lots of reasons why unbelievers might attend church faithfully. Now, in many ways, hear me say this. I want people here. I want unbelievers here. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, we are so thankful you're here today. Because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful to save all. We believe that. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But there's a couple of lessons for us to think through in this idea that a lot of people attend church. The first is this. Do not judge Jesus by the behavior of a few church members. Do not judge Jesus by the behavior of a few church members. I read a quote this morning, um, and I wish it was mine. You know, you ever read those and you go, boy, I wish I would thought about that. And it was from an older pastor that's um, uh, been reprinted somewhere else today, but from an older pastor who was talking through uh, those who have walked away from the faith and how they, they tend to get so much fanfare. But he, he said this. He said, if we have a cruise liner riding through, riding, sailing through the seas, there may be thousands of people on that ship who are doing everything they're supposed to be doing and having a good time, but the only person who gets any attention is the guy that jumps overboard. And keep in mind, when he jumped overboard, he had absolutely zero impact on anybody around him. When he jumped overboard, the ship was not able to stop. Folks, there are lots of people in the church, but if we're not careful, we and others will allow ourselves... To judge a church based on those that jump overboard. You understand? Based on those who are making the wrong decisions. There may be 500 people doing the right thing and you met the one knucklehead and you go, I don't want anything to do with that place because if so and so is there, it must be a terrible place. Folks, don't judge a church by the behavior of few churches. Imagine if we assumed that Ananias and Sapphira were the picture of what early Christianity was all about. Imagine if you sat around and said, well, obviously the church was full of nothing but crooks and liars and cheats. Folks, we know that's not true. We know that's not true because we've got the evidence of God's Word that teaches us about this early community that changed the world. Folks, be careful that you don't allow the, the worst part of any church gathering to dictate the way that you would judge that body of believers. Because there are lots of people in a church. And some of them don't know Jesus. The second thing I want you to see in this idea that a lot of people attend church is this. A follower of Christ is more than a faithful church attendee. A follower of Christ is more than a faithful church attendee. Now listen. I talk... Did you hear my voice go up? I think I'm cracking. Maybe at midlife crisis I get like a second uh, puberty. Um, and you do, at puberty, you, you, you have hair. At midlife, the hair falls out. Um, no? Too soon? Too far? Let's move on. I had a lot of coffee this morning. I 
talk a lot about church attendance. And, and hear me say, I am convinced that there is maybe nothing more important for the Christian life than to be regularly, regularly engaged with a church body. Regularly. And the reason is this. The, the New Testament knows nothing of Christians who are not committed to a church. You might not like that statement, but you can't argue my statement from the Scriptures. Repeatedly, we see over and over and over again, and not only in the first century, throughout the history of the church, those who belonged to Jesus belonged to local churches. And remember, Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We talked about this just last Sunday. Folks, there is nothing more important to our public witness than that we be committed to the bride of Christ, the local church. So hear me say, I believe that church attendance is so incredibly important for those people that belong to Jesus. But watch, if you believe, if you believe that your attendance at the church is all that is required of you, you have sorely missed the boat. Checking a box doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. And writing a check doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. The fact that you have warmed a pew for 30 years in any place does not necessarily mean that you belong to Christ. Ananias and Sapphira were faithful to show up. They were faithful to give. But their hearts were faithfully committed to their own way. And as a result, they did not experience Christ. Folks, one of the dangers of a society like ours where church attendance is still relatively acceptable. In some corners, it's even encouraged and celebrated. One of the dangers is that we can get so comfortable showing up at church to get a pat on the back. That we forget that the church is not about the place, is not the place you come. The church is the body that you belong to through heart change. A lot of people attend church, folks. A lot of people attend church. I ask you today, are you attending this church today because you belong to Jesus or for some other reason? The second thing we see this morning is that God knows your heart. You might hide from the world. You might hide from your spouse. You might even hide from your mama. But God knows your heart. God knows all of you. He knows the ugliest parts and the prettiest parts. He knows everything. God sees you with the light turned on. Do you understand? And He can shine a spotlight in every corner and crevice of your life. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were respected, wealthy members of their community. Maybe their gift to the church was larger than other people's gifts. We have no idea. What we do know is that God knew what no one else knew. God knew their heart. And God knows your heart. Who are you trying to fool today? Who are you trying to fool? You might have the world duped, but God knows you. And one day, you and I will stand before Him and all of ourselves will be laid bare. There will be nothing to hide behind. 
I love to play hide and seek with little kids. It's so easy to win. You ever watch a little kid hide? How do they hide? They close their eyes. It's great. If you're nice, then you go, oh, I can't see you. If you're me, you go, ha ha, loser, I gotcha. I don't really do that all the time. So often we're sort of trying to, we're like, God, you can't see my sin. I'm hiding over here. We forget that he is all knowing, all seeing. He sees it all. But then when we decide we can't hide behind it, what do we try to do? We sort of try and sort of just push it away, get, get, get rid of it, get it out of the way. Sometimes we even try to buy his love, don't we? Some of you today need to drop the act, drop the mask. You need to come to terms with the fact that God sees you. He sees your sin. He sees who you really are. The ugly parts. So you can't buy, lie, Or hide your way into God's kingdom. Repeatedly in God's word we are told that God desires changes of heart. Psalm 51 tells us that God desires a broken and contrite heart. Ananias and Sapphira wrote a big check to the church. But that big check did not hide their sinful heart. God sees your heart. How many of you put on a nice shirt and a nice jacket or tie this morning or maybe a nice dress this morning and you did it all so that you could hide the sinful heart living behind it? We put on masks And we convince the whole world that everything's great, but inside we are what Jesus warned to be whitewashed tombs. God knows your heart. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God knows your heart. And today needs to be the day that you give Him your heart. That you allow God to change your heart. You see, the reality is God will not do anything for you until you are willing to acknowledge you need Him. Until you're willing to acknowledge that sinful, ugly, broken, hurt heart of yours. And then God will heal it. God knows your heart. But listen, can I tell some of you, there's some of you that need to hear this in a little different way. God knows your heart. Ananias and Sapphira brought a large gift to the church, but that gift could not buy God's favor. You might not have the gifts of Ananias and Sapphira. You may only have the widow's might. But the Lord knows your heart. You see, God is not concerned with how much we bring to the table. God's concerned with whether or not we allow Him To transform and change us. Some of you need to be encouraged today. God knows your heart. You say, Craig, I don't have much I can give. 
okay, that's fine. God knows your heart. And Jesus died for you. Not so that you might give him something in return. He died because he loves you. Right where you are. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is one of of, of a husband and a wife who believed that they could lie their way into acceptance within the church body. It's a story of people who thought that they could keep back a little for themselves and they could still get patted on the back. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira who looked at the culture of the church around them and said, we want to be celebrated just like everybody else. But we don't want to do what everybody else has done. It's a story of people that had a cold and dark and selfish heart. Understand, Ananias and Sapphira did not experience God's judgment because they didn't give enough money. Ananias and Sapphira experienced God's judgment because they lied about what they were doing. What Ananias and Sapphira were saying was that they had sold a piece of property like everybody else and had brought the money and given it to the church. But what had actually happened is that Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property, pocketed part of it, and then said, look at us. Somebody notice me. Pat me on the back. I've done good things. And God sees straight through that. God even sees through the false humility. Imagine, we don't know the whole story, but it's possible that Ananias and Sapphira kind of did it like this. Oh, no, no, don't celebrate us. It's just our duty to give to the Lord that which he's blessed us with. And there was somebody that was like, look at Ananias and Sapphira. They're so amazing. And God's like, no, liar. Yesterday, y'all ever have those days at home that are not like the most perfect days? Like less than perfect days, right? We had one of those less than perfect days at home yesterday. Half of it was probably my fault if you ask my children, okay? So I I gave them this great gift. I left for about an hour yesterday and had to do something else. It's beautiful for everybody. But last night, we finished the night pretty well. We had dinner out on the back deck. We had the fire pit going, we cooked, and the kids were making s'mores. One of, they even loved me enough to fix me my own special graham cracker with chocolate and without the nasty marshmallow. They did it, and then they brought it to me. Oh, Father, here is your dessert. Y'all should have been there. It was amazing. A lot of sarcasm from them. But I, I took a picture because I was just sitting, rocking in my little chair, The kids are having fun. And I take a picture of one of the kids and they're smiling. And it's dark and there's fire pit and there's s'mores. And it was just like the the marshmallows squeezing out and the chocolates running down. And Angela was sitting beside me. But I didn't talk to her because that's not what we do anymore. I sent her a text message. (laughs) But I I texted her the photograph Of my beautiful, sweet, not sweet, my beautiful child. And and I said, we should put this on Instagram. And we could say the perfect ending to the perfect day. And nobody would be any the wiser. Right? People would go, wow, look at those Thompsons. They've got it all together. And they had a perfect day. And they've got the perfect family. And they're so pretty. And there's a fire. And there's, there's s'mores. And what a great dad. 
And nobody would have known that it was less than perfect. Nobody would have known that I was banished from the house by my entire family. <laughs> it was like this. Hey, guys, I'm going to go do this. Does anybody want to go? And they were like, ah. I said, honey, Angela, do you mind? She's like, yeah, just have a good time. Don't hurry back. So I didn't. I showed them. And that beautiful picture would have been a perfect foil, a perfect mask over what was a less than perfect day. How many of your Instagram perfect? With those photographs are hiding a broken life that desperately needs intervention from the king of the universe. God sees your heart. The unedited photographs of your heart. And he desires to work in the ugly edges and bring healing. God knows your heart. Third, this morning we see this. Sin is deadly serious. I usually work through my study guide with, sometimes with all of our pastoral staff, sometimes with just the random person that walks down the hall. I'm an, I'm an external processor, right? Which is terrible for people in this office. What it means is I like to talk through things. And so brace yourself. If you're ever walking by and my door is open and I ask you to step in, it's probably not because I have any interest in what's going on in your life. Um, I need to talk through the sermon with you, right? I'll have interest afterward, but not until I can get these things out. I just need to say it out loud. And so this week, I was uh, Adam drew the short straw to walk into my office and hear me walk through this, this uh, outline. And he said, whew, that's, that's kind of rough. And it is. Sin is deadly serious. On January 13, 1882, 10 people were killed in New York when the Atlantic Express train was hit from behind by a train from Terrytown. The Atlantic Express was stopped on the tracks in a blind curve. Rumors and reports from the time of the incident suggest the Atlantic, Atlantic Express was, and I quote, a boozy, raucous ride where passengers drank themselves silly. It was reported at the time that the train may have been stopped because a drunk passenger thought it would be funny to pull the emergency brake. Just a joke. No big deal, right? But the consequence of this joke were the loss of multiple lives and the destruction of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Sin is serious. We're often desensitized to the seriousness of sin. Sometimes because it becomes so convenient in our own lives. Sometimes we're desensitized to, the, to sin because we live in a culture where sin has become regarded as righteousness and righteousness has become sin. We live in a culture that is well described by Romans chapter 1. 
Where within our culture, sin is celebrated and godliness is deplorable. It becomes easy for us to overlook sin. Listen to this. Sin is an offense against God that separates us from God. We must never, ever forget that. Sin is an offense against God. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is not fun, but it is important. It is, it, and it is important in part because this account teaches us that God takes sin seriously. Seriously. All sin. Remember, what was Ananias and Sapphira's sin? Who did they murder? No one. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church and God struck them dead. We should take sin seriously. But watch whose sin? Whose sin? Do you know whose sin you like to take seriously? Everybody else. Oh, I love to find people that have different sin than me. Don't you? Look at those sinners. Look at that life they live. Look at what they did. And then we like to get really fundamentalist and turn it within, right? And we step up on our platform and we scream, you evil, rotten sinners are going to hell. And then we scream and we yell and we go, we need to get those people right. And God is saying, look in the mirror because I'm concerned with your heart. You see, the sin you need to be most concerned with is not your neighbor. It is the person that looks at you in the mirror every single morning. Why does the world not hear us when we speak to them of their sin? Because we've not done enough work dealing with our own sin. We are not allowed, we are not qualified to yell at the world for the sins that they have until we have wept over the sin in our own life. When's the last time you wept over your own sin? When's the last time you were broken over your sin? Oh, we're really good at getting mad at Disney for their sin, aren't we? And for the record, they're wrong. I'm not saying otherwise. But when's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, Lord God, how have I led my own children astray? Lord God, how have I allowed my own heart to go astray? God takes sin seriously. And we should take sin seriously. But folks, the first sin that we've got to be concerned with is not the sin of our neighbor. Not the sin of those across town or across the country. We have to be concerned with our sin. You have to be concerned with your sin. Sin. One of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor is to preach about sin and have people look at me and say, boy, you preached a great message. People need to hear that one today. Don't walk out and tell me this morning that people needed to hear this today. We all need to hear this today. You need to hear this today. 
when David committed his horrible sin with Bathsheba, had Uriah murdered, David said, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead for lying. How many times have you said it was just a lie? It was just a lie. You see, there's something in us, probably pride, that's eager to take the sins of others very seriously and hesitant to take seriously our own sin. What do we learn from this passage this morning? We learn that the church is filled with saints and sinners. We learn that the church is filled with those people that we celebrate their faith. And we learn that the church also contains those kind of folks that do not yet know Christ. We learn from this passage that you may be here today and have no relationship with Jesus. And I want you to know that today can be the day of your salvation. We learn from this passage this morning that God knows your heart. He knows why you're here. He knows what it is that you have based your hope for eternity upon. He knows what you consider to be your purpose in life. He knows whether or not you've trusted Him for salvation. We also see this morning that, God, that sin is deadly serious. Deadly serious. But what else do we see this morning? We see that God is gracious. Since you were children, you were taught most likely to pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. God is great and good and gracious. What does that mean? When we take the seriousness of sin with the fact that we're still here today, we know that God is gracious because He has given us chance after chance after chance after chance. When we consider this morning that God knows our hearts and yet we are still breathing, we are reminded that He is gracious and He has given us chance after chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, that He has overlooked our sin time and time and time again. Why would God do that? If sin is serious to the Lord, why would He ignore our sin? Is it because He doesn't care? No, it is because God is patient, wanting that none should perish. You see, if you're here today and you know everything I've said to be true, that God knows your heart and that your heart is filled with sin and malice and anger and strife, and yet God, in His grace and mercy, has passed over your sin time and time and time again, I want to tell you why. It's because God desires a relationship with you. It's because God wants to save you from your pain, your hurt, your shame, and your sin. But folks, I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to listen. Until we're willing to be serious about what sin is, we're going to be real hard-pressed to find opportunities for God to save us. Too many of you have listened to this this morning. You've made all sorts of excuses about the sin in your life. 
You've explained it away by what your mama did or your daddy did or your kid did. You've explained it away with just the way I was born. And I'm here to tell you that when God says it's sin, it's sin. And until you're willing to look in the mirror and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, you're going to be hard-pressed to find the Savior you need. Oh, we live in a therapeutic culture. That creates excuses for everything that we do. And I hear it over and over and over again. And folks, I'm not trying to be unkind. But some of you need to hear some really hard truths. Your children who are living in sin are not being influenced by the bad people around them. They're being influenced by their sinful heart and parents. Until you're willing to accept the fact that your children are sinners in need of a Savior. They won't get saved. I didn't get a lot of amens out of that, but it's true. They are the bad influence. Listen to me, dads who will not bring your children to church. I don't care what your excuse is. Your responsibility is to lead your family toward Jesus. And if you're not doing it, it's a sin, period. Until you're willing to admit that, you can't be right with the Lord. Oh, we've got excuses, don't we? I've got them too. I get mad and I go, well, it's just the way I am. No, it's sin that lives within me that I've not gotten rid of. Do you understand that? God desires to change your heart. He has been gracious and passed over your sin, but not so that you could continue to live with your excuses. This is why. Because Isaiah 53 teaches us he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What do we need to hear about Ananias and Sapphira? They died in their sin, but you need not because Jesus took your death. There is no part of me that would have ever flipped through my Bible and said, oh, I want to preach that passage of Scripture. But there is every part of me that is convinced that God desires for us to hear it. Until we stop making excuses for our sin, we'll never find a relationship with our Savior. Well, it's just hard. There's so much porn out there. Well, it was difficult. It was just right there. It was easy for me to take. Until we stop making excuses for our sin. Well, everybody does it. Well, it's just one little lie. Everybody cheats on their taxes. Until we stop making excuses for our sin, we'll never know the joys of life with our Savior. I wrote this in my notes this morning. I want to make sure y'all hear it. I probably should have made a slide so that y'all have it. 
God doesn't desire more from you. God desires more for you. What is the more? The life that you were created to live. Some of you bought the lie. The lie that your sin would give you the life you wanted. Ananias and Sapphira bought the same lie and it cost them everything. This morning, would you run from the lie and run to Jesus? This morning, if you don't know the Lord, today can be the day. Perhaps today you look around and you say, you know what, I am that excuse maker. And today I'm going to have the courage to stand up and say it. I have lied to myself and everybody else. I made all the excuses in the world, but the reality is I've lived the life that I've lived, not because somebody told me to, or I've done it because I wanted to. You see, if we're all honest about it, most of the time we live in our sin, not out of ignorance. We find all sorts of excuses, but we do it because it's what we want to do. We all tend to do what we want to do. And then we find justifications for the things that we want to do. You justify the things you buy. You justify the places you spend your time. The people you spend your time with. You know what I find is true about justifications? We, we, we tend to treat Jesus like a condiment. I was talking with some guys the other day, and we're going to shut it down right here. But listen, I talking to some guys the other day about hot peppers. And some of y'all like to buy like this hot pepper sauce, and you put like three drops of it on, you know, a big bowl of rice. And you go, man, I love hot peppers. And you put three drops of it on a bowl of rice. Can I tell you something? You don't like hot pepper. You understand? You like rice. You like the idea of telling people you ate a ghost pepper. You didn't. You ate three drops on a bowl of rice. It was a condiment. It was ketchup. You know, now I've seen some of y'all eat french fries, and I think you like ketchup, and you don't like french fries. But when you put three drops of hot sauce in a whole bowl of soup, you didn't like hot sauce. You liked the soup and the idea of the hot sauce. Oh, we find great ways to justify everything that we do. Well, there was a devotion while we were there, so it's all good. No, 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 no. Jesus is not a condiment. We don't get to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on something as an excuse for everything that we want to do. He's the main course, y'all. He, he expects, he requires all of our life. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Some of you aren't resting because you refuse to tell Jesus that you're tired. That you're weary. You're still trying to do it all on your own. And I'm here to tell you today. Jesus wants more for you. Ananias and Sapphira experienced God's judgment. You need not experience his judgment. Jesus died for you. As we sing this morning, will you come? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us in a difficult passage of scripture. I pray, Lord God, that we would learn from it and be changed in Christ's name. Amen.